Good morning. Great to see you guys this morning. I know we've got a bunch of folks traveling this weekend, so thank you for being here local with us and enjoying God together. And thanks for all the visitors that we have who are in town. Maybe you're in town visiting relatives and you came to be with us this morning as well. We are blessed always to get to connect again. So please take a moment if you got a second afterwards to tell us hello if you're in town visiting from out of town. Um, if you got your Bible with you or you got an app with you, you got something you can look at personally, and I stress that as very important. Get that out and you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me. It's just important um, in a lifestyle that moves really, really fast and doesn't really sit down anywhere for long, right? This, that's, the, that's the way we live life. We're never in any one place doing one thing and we're never in any one place for very long, right? That's just true. And so our, our Bibles need to be places that we sit down in the Bible and we just are there and, and we're there not in a hurry, not in a rush. We're there to just let its influence come into our souls. And, and so I, this time that we have together, uh, it's precious time for us. It's an important time for us. But I, I just think there's something about you staring at your Bible, you looking at the, the words yourself, you and God. You know, I'm just here to help with whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in individual lives. And, and, and so please look on carefully with us. Uh, if you are joining us just recently, we have been studying through a little series that we've entitled Enchanted, and it has to do with the, the life that we're going to live in the land of 2018, and obviously beyond that as well. But just the, the, the forces that are at work, the way that we're being in, influenced and affected as we live life, and that's not unique to us. I think there are unique things going on in 2018, but every segment of God's people, no matter when they have lived, they have had to face factors externally that are coming at them. And we've got to manage those things. Now, I've used this word enchanted uh, for a number of reasons, but the way we've used it so far, I'm going to turn a corner today a little bit, and the way we've used it so far, I've sort of turned it into a curse word, right? Yeah, it sounds like that's a terrible thing. Enchanted is a terrible thing. And so now I'm going to freak you out, and now I'm going to turn it into a good word, and now I'm going to want you to be enchanted, so we're going to go from there's a problem with being enchanted to you're supposed to be enchanted. All right, let's go back to our definition of enchanted there. I think we start your notes with that. Uh, the word enchanted means to fill someone with great delight. And there's a little mystery in things that delight us, isn't there? I mean, why do, why do we like one thing over another? Why does one thing really capture a person and make you run after it? And that, you know, I like that, that word charm. Things that they mysteriously, they charm us, right? I mean, we're, we're charmed by certain people. We don't like everybody the same. We're charmed by certain people. Certain people come into our radar and we, we have an attraction for them in a way that we don't for others. There's a little mystery in that. It just taps into us in a certain way that something else didn't. And that's okay. That word means to put someone or something under a spell. You know, the synonym list there means to captivate, to enrapture, entrance or enthrall, to fascinate, 
to hypnotize or mesmerize, to rivet or grip or be transfixed with something. Right? That's what enchantment means. Now, here's the reality of our lives because we've, we've described the enchantment of our day, the enchantment of the land with, that we live in. But the reason why that land finds access to us is because we are all wired for enchantment. We are creatures that are meant to be enchanted. And so that, that wiring is in us, right? When, when aspects of life in this world come to us, they don't have to install wiring that will connect to enchantment. Like we're just these sort of zombie-ish creatures that don't have any kind of affection or desires or longings or, you know, enrapturing with anything going on. We don't have that. And so when stuff comes to us, it's got to install that in us. It doesn't have to install that in us because it's already there. The wiring is there. We are meant to be enchanted. To live life under a spell, if you will. To be charmed by something. To have extravagant devotion and affections for something. Right? But our, our storyline, we pick up in Deuteronomy 6, introduces us to some of the challenges of being that kind of a creature and venturing into this kind of a land. And that's what they were doing here in Deuteronomy 6. If you remember where you are in the Bible... They're finally about to enter into the promised land, this good land, this land that's filled with all kinds of wonderful things to enjoy that God had wired them for that as well, right? We're supposed to be industrious and eager and take advantage of of things that can be enjoyed and have taste buds that taste stuff and eyes that see in color. This This is all God's design. So we're supposed to travel through the land going, wow, whoa, look at that. So the answer to the enchantment of the land is not to become these dull, disconnected, zero-affection, zombie, stoic-type people. And somehow that can become some people's answer. And then, you know, that becomes the Christianity you have to offer. Here, here you want to you be a part of knowing God? You know, basically what it means is just saying no to everything you can imagine. No. What about that? No. Don't even ask me about that. No. The answer is no. You want to be holy? The answer is no. Uh, and that becomes whatever Christianity that we create. And that's, that's not the creatures God created. Right? You, were, you were created to make noise about things. You were created to be affectionate and amazed and blown away and say something about stuff. So that's not wrong. It's just hard to manage it. All right, so I'm not going to read these verses again, all of them. But when we ventured here to the edge of this promised land with Moses, one of the things that is central to this begins in verse 10 and travels down to about verse 14. And it's this concern, it's, it's this enchantment dimension in the land that Moses highlights. Remember, he gets them close and he says, now listen, all this good stuff is going to be there when we get there. It's going to be amazing. Land flowing with milk and honey, just everywhere. Stuff to enjoy is all over the place. Be careful that you don't forget God when you get there. So there's this built-in warning, awareness that is for every one of us today. That in the land that we live in, and we live in a land that's not heaven, you're not in heaven yet. 
And we live in a land that has some stuff in it. And when you go and pick it up and eat it, partake of it, look at it, enjoy it in some way, that it has this, its own mystical power to charm you. To tap into the wiring that's on the inside of you. And, and as it charms you and rises in importance, something you're not noticing is diminishing in importance. And over here, this is the God factor. Who God is and how he was supposed to be in our lives. And that diminishes and diminishes until Moses says you can get to a place where these things are flourishing in the world of enchantment. And you have forgotten God. And you are not enchanted by him at all this warning is still a warning that lives in our world today and you and I have to be aware of it so in the land is enchantment now I don't want to spend too much time in this I'm going to highlight this a couple things today but I don't want to I don't want to ignore this because it will theologically damage you if you don't catch some things that are also in the land right so I just put a couple things here to notice in this Deuteronomy 6 land. Um, enchantment is in the land. There's danger of forgetting God. But there's grace in the land as well. The grace of God is in the land. And, and, and please learn. Please develop the ability. To hear. Both things that God says all over the place. Grace is in the same sentence. It's usually in the Bible within arm's reach of the Bible telling you to do something. Right? So it highlights grace that's got nothing to do with what you do. Be careful that you don't pollute the two, but then be careful that you don't ostracize the two. So the Bible is going to highlight grace, this dimension of of our relating to God that is based in something in God. His desire, his purpose, his intentionality, his heart of love and affection to do the things toward us that he does. But then within arm's reach of passages that talk about grace are these commands for you and I to do something. Don't, don't, Don't confuse the two. And don't separate the two inappropriately as though those things can't go together. They go together all over the Bible. It's you and I that weird out when we go to engage these things. Because Deuteronomy 6 is, remember, this is a strategy moment. This is Moses saying, hey, when we get in the land, the land can be enchanting. Blind you to God. So, so why don't we do this and this and this? And why don't we do things? Yes. Why don't we do things to be careful when we're in the land? But the doing of those things is not the basis of our relationship with God. We don't get to go into the land because we finally scored high enough in these areas. And now God says, come on in. You guys get to have the land because you finally got an A on the test. You finally kept my commands at a good enough level. You finally lived a life in a good enough way. Now you can have the land. Now I'll be your God. Now I'm for you. Listen, this is not a small deal. This gets confused in our lives. And, and, and when God just turns around and says, hey, why don't you do these things? We turn them into, oh, I feel so condemned. You know, I'm not doing those things. I'm not working enough. You know, I don't even want to hear that, Keith. I just feel so, I don't even want to hear it. Um, okay, well, you have to hear it. Because it's in the Bible. And you have to theologically be able to digest it. 
Because you've been informed by the theology of the Bible. Right? So we're going into this land. Let me just highlight. Grace is in the land. And they're going to be in the land with a mindfulness that we shouldn't be here. But we are. We shouldn't belong to God. But we do. God shouldn't care for us. But he does. That's what grace does to you. It, it, that's why it's amazing grace, right? So look, look, if you run forward a little bit over from Deuteronomy 6 to Deuteronomy 7, you quickly get these little highlight moments like this, right? Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all the peoples but it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers well then why does God love us if it's not because we're greater than other people or got a better score or more in number why does he love us well he loves us because he loves us how's that for an answer Because for reasons in himself that he didn't have to come up with from us, he set his love on us. And you and I are just left scratching our heads going, why why would you do that, God? Because our our resume isn't great, right? I mean, you go over in Deuteronomy 9, if you've got a Bible with pages, you can turn with me. Verse 6, this just keeps getting clarified, right? Grace in the land is being clarified here. Know therefore... That the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Can we get this right? Remember and do not forget. Stop right there. What do you think the Bible is about to say to you? Remember and do not forget something. Do not forget this. What are you about to hear? How you provoke the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Remember that and do not forget it. How do you like that, huh? Does that feel real positive-y? That's not a real good vibe today. Nobody wants to write a book. If I put a title on that, remember and do not forget, it would have to be that God loves you. That's what it would have to be. The whole book would have to be about that. And guess what? That would be an accurate biblical book, wouldn't it? Remember and do not forget that God does love you. But if you want to be amazed by that love, if you want to scratch your head and wonder, if you want to fall down and worship this morning when we sang some of these songs, remember this as well. Remember the raw material of what you brought into this relationship with God that is self-absorbed. I want to be the center of the universe. I will put God at the end of my priority list in a second, and you will too. And God will turn around and love me right in the midst of that. That's amazing grace, isn't it? And so God keeps reminding them, grace is in the land here. But Deuteronomy 6, as well as much of Deuteronomy, is going to say, hey, let's do some things while we're in the land. Right? So in the land here as well is what I'm going to call heartfelt, passionate attitudes are in this land. And when we pick up in Deuteronomy, go back to Deuteronomy 6, 
Listen to, what's, listen to what's here. This is what God expects to be in the human heart. Verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them. Right? So there's stuff to do in the land. Right? But, but it's, that's what we do doesn't achieve grace from God. Right? You catching that? So is it okay for God to tell you to do things without you transferring that into, well, great, now I've got to qualify. Right? Can we just erase that kind of junk? So we can actually read our Bibles and not have all kinds of red flags flying up everywhere. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God. So God wants us to do some things so that what's inside of us is a fear of him. All right, so God wants this strong, you know, fear of God is a strong emotive experience. It's something inside of you that sort of makes some noise and you know it's there. Right, look down and let's see where am I? Verse five. Verse four. Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So in the land, there are these strong passions. There's fear in the land. There's love in this land. Look at verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. So there's, there's serving in the land. Right? There's something inside of us that, that longs to, to do something toward God that falls into this category of serving. Right now, I love this, this verse. This is a great, turn over to Deuteronomy 10. The same thought, again, Moses is going to pick it up again. And, and there's just a quick conciseness here that I think just helps. If I were to say, hey, say, so you're a Christian. So what's up with that? You're a Christian. Hey, welcome. Great to meet you. What does that even mean to you? What does that mean for your life existence? What does that feel? What does it feel like to be a Christian? What, what, what goes on the inside of you toward God in this thing called being a Christian, right? It can sound real smoke and mirrors and gassy, right? I mean, just say, hey, what, I don't know, Christianity is just sort of everybody's got their own little version of it. Well, here's a really nice, concise thing that God speaks and reveals in this passage. Chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Now, listen, require, ooh, that's, a, that's a loaded word, isn't it? Require in order to be his people? Everybody answer that in your head. No. Because they are his people because he made a promise generations before them that they would be his people. That's what made them his people. They are his people because in Egypt, God shows up and rescues them because they belong to him already. These are my people. Right, so this is what the Lord requires of you. But not in order for you to create acceptance with God, right? So make sure you hear that right. But this, this is what, the, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To love him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers. This is grace again. And chose their offspring after them. You 
above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Be no longer stubborn, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So God stands and, and reveals something. Hey, this is, this is some of the ingredients of a relationship with me. Now listen, let me go back to my word enchanted. Right? Enchanted is that, that strong connection with something. It's mysterious, but it's, it's hooked us. We're hooked. We're addicted. We're affected. We want more of it. We're obsessed. We keep going after it. All right, God wants that to be how we feel about him. And in this experience of enchantment, I think all of these words show up. When you get enchanted with anything, you experience these at some level. Fear, a walk, serving, and love. When you get enchanted, when enchantment kicks in in your life, I think all of those things become present. Right? If I'm enchanted by something, there's a, there's a fear connected it might just be a fear of not having that thing. The kind of fear that, that kicks in, if I don't have that, man, my stomach is turning. There, there's anxiety inside of me, right? Because that, that fear word has to do with something that sets the priority for other things. It, it's, it's where my loyalties run to. It's something that for me that's so important, everything else lines up underneath it. Now, how do you know that doesn't always turn out to be God, does it? I mean, there's a reason why the Bible has to turn around and say, hey, be anxious for nothing. Well, you know, I get anxious about the things that, that I have a fear and respect for, either having them and wanting them so bad or being afraid of what it would be like to not have them in my life. Right? So when something is enchanting me, fear is there with it. And I experience it. And it could be the fear of God or it could be the fear of man. And once that kicks into my heart, this idea of patterning my life, that's what a walk is. Walk in your ways. What is a walk? It's, it's just the patterns of life that we create. So when I begin to have a priority towards something, I, I take my morning and I turn it into something. I take my friendships, I turn them into something. I take my schedule, I turn it into something. I create patterns for my life to live in, don't I? Right? If you get enchanted by something, you really want that, your life will make room for it. I guarantee you. Right? You've heard me say this way too many times. It's probably a broken record. People do what they want to do. So they make room for things because they want that and they want what enchants them. And so your walk is going to be a reflection of the things that enchant you. So wouldn't it be right for God to say, you know, if you're enchanted with me, you will walk in my ways and, and and if you don't walk in my ways then it reveals something to you you're not enchanted by me i i don't mesmerize you or hold your interest or transfix you or touch your emotions or awaken affections inside of you well that's a sobering thought god calls us to serve because we serve the things that we're enchanted by Right? Serving has, you know, it's got some stuff in it, right? Serving involves things that we, we sacrifice. We take risks. 
We go through inconvenience, right? That's serving. That's, when I serve something, there's something about me that's getting pushed to the side and something else that I'm investing in. So I take me, maybe, maybe I'm afraid of you know, some public dimension of life. But if I really want something, I might overcome that fear and push myself to the side and serve that and create room for it. And maybe I'm just overscheduled and I'm tired out and I'm busy, but I'm really enchanted by this thing. So I make sure and I, you know, I record that show and I find time to watch it. You know, we, we do stuff like this, don't we? So, so what is it about relating to God that when, it's, it, when it turns into this dimension of serving God, it has, it has you know, like a nasty taste to it. I mean, we, you serve, you know, young people, you serve your peer group. Every time you adjust yourself to make sure you fit in. They're doing things, dressing a certain way, having a certain set of values, and they they mock you or leave you out if you don't subscribe to their little list. You serve them when you make sure you got the right shoes, make sure you talk the right way, make sure you're in the right places. You are serving them. And you're serving something that you want to get, that there's something enchanting about that setting that you want. Right? We, we serve jobs. We serve things that make money for us. So, so listen, these, these values, they're in us. And we live them out all the time. Look at that, that last one. It's, this is not a one-dimensional thing. Right? When God stands and says, hey, I, I require something in our relationship. He doesn't just require that you love him. But he does require that you love him. And that's an interesting requirement. That word there is not some strange, unused word that's reserved for some weird version of love that only sits around God. That word there is the word that's used all over the place in Scripture to to describe that, that inner love that you and I are compelled by for all kinds of stuff. Right. This word would find itself into categories like uh, affection. This is an affection for things. And it's an affection for things, everything from sexual affection to affections for other things. That's how that word is used. Right? It's to love human beings, love for one another. It includes family love, sexual love. It involves a human appetite for objects such as food, drink, sleep, wisdom, And love for God, the love of friendship, the love of being a lover. That's the same word that God turns around and says, hey, you know that word? Love me that way. So, you know, what is it about us that that we can can be passionate about stuff, can't we? We can, we, can, we can light up over some things. We can let emotions flow to the surface. We can be loud and proud. We can stand out. And then we get around God and it's got like, we will say we love God, but you know, I don't, I don't get it. Your love for God doesn't look anything like the way you normally use the word love. You're obsessive over the things you love, the people you love, courting that girl, going after that. You're obsessive over that. But then you got this other word that you use for loving God and God says, no, 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 I want that word. I don't want some staid, churchy version of you come in and you're all kind of stoic and prim and proper and there's not an ounce of emotion going on in you. God says, that's not the word I'm interested in. I want the one where you're obsessed with things 
where you freak out over not having them. I want you to freak out over the thought that you wouldn't have me. I want you to long for me like that. If you just could go on a date with her or marry that guy, if you could just have that, life would be complete. I want that, God says. I want that. That's what I'm after. And it's not a casual word. It's a word that he attaches. He hitches it to these other concepts, you know, with all your heart and soul and strength. But this is an awkward word because in some ways I I can't command you to love anything. I can't can't, can't command you to do that. I can command you to make time for it. I can command you to obey it. I don't know that I can command you to love something or someone. There's just this mysterious poof that takes place in this... uh, supreme affection for something right john piper in his book think he says you do not merely decide to love him something changes inside of you and as a result he becomes compellingly attractive right how can it's like yeah i, I love god but i mean i'm not really all that attracted to him what what no 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 it's because you are compellingly attracted to him that you love him It's like you need that other dimension. His glory, his beauty compels your admiration and delight. He becomes your supreme treasure. You love him. You have affection for him. And God's not interested in something less than that. God's not interested in a version of being religious that doesn't involve that. Right? You see those verses there in your outline. Deuteronomy 28. God turns around and says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies. God, God says, you know, if you're going to be around me and you're going to relate to me, but you'd rather do something else. I'm not the joy of your life. And you didn't serve me out of a heart overflowing with delight in me. You, you served for some other reason and you kind of resented it the whole time. You kind of wished you could do something else. God says, hey, I'd just as soon judge that as have that. That's not the word God's after. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven. It's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that feel right that's enchantment isn't it suddenly this guy comes upon something that just moments earlier he was shopping and living and doing life in other categories but but he saw this treasure and that's the treasure his heart's been longing for and when he found that he became obsessed with it so much so that he was willing to part with everything else to have that and he didn't do it begrudgingly he didn't do it under some obligation did it out of his passion in his heart. God says, that's what I'm after. And then you remember last week, you can turn to Psalm 73. Let's visit with a guy who today's message is called Fighting Enchantment with Enchantment. What rescues our, our friend here in Psalm 73? Remember 
last week. Some people think that this is Asaph, the fellow who wrote the psalm. Others would disagree, so I'm just going to call him the psalmist. At some point, he begins his story. This is his personal story, and it's such a, such a relevant story. I think all of us can relate to this. He starts with some level of, of experience and loyalty to God that was meaningful to him. He opens the psalm describing, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But, but, as, as for me, here's my story. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And he goes on and tells a long story about how, you know, he, one day he just found himself looking up at life and what was going on around him. And who had it easy? Basically, look around. That's the good life. That's what he did. He saw other people with this thing that he labeled, because they labeled it this way, the good life. That's the good life. And he looked at his own life, and it didn't have all those trinkets and gadgets and things in it. It didn't feel the way their portrayal of their life felt. So he thought, you know, I've been ripped off. You know, I'm certain I came to a point where I thought, God, God is good. And then I came to a point where I thought, but what's up with how hard my life is and how unrewarding it can be sometimes and, and how it doesn't have all the latest and greatest in it like some other people have. And this envy floated up in his heart, right? In verse 13, this is, this is what he sounds like. He says, you know, all in vain, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. You know, here I've, I had this God, and, and with this God in the land, there's, there's some borders and boundaries to life. And I've sought to honor that. I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I'm doing some things that God calls me to do. And you know, and I lift my life up and I go, wait, you know, wait, 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 wait just a second. And he almost sounds like he resents the fact that, you know, listen, you, some of you guys are old enough to have been young people who were, quote, forced to go to church and you got a, a little older. You know, when you were being forced as you were young to do that, you can build up this resentment. Like, I don't, I don't even want to, you know, like I'm being blackmailed, like I got to be here. Like, um, and if I don't, you know, that's going to be hell to pay. Um, and you sort of resent that. And you, you resent it when your heart gets conflicted, right? He, he clarified, surely God is good to those who are pure in heart, to those who have an unconflicted heart. But you know when your heart becomes conflicted, when you lift your eyes up and you say, you know, I'm becoming more and more convinced the more I stare at this, that the good life is over there. Now, I know there's some boundaries around my life where God... He applauds certain things and he doesn't applaud other things. And, you know, so I'm going to have to cross the border here to get into that land over there is where I can have the good life. And so as I look at that over there, I'm, I'm a little resentful that God has kept these things from me. And for a guy who at some point could say God is good, he has lost his mind. In some spiritual way, he's lost his mind. And the life that God has for him, he no longer labels good. But then in verse 16, something happens. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to be a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. It's like the good life 
has a trajectory. Everybody got on the spaceship of the good life, but oh my gosh, this thing lands right here. And it doesn't, when you get on the ship in the beginning, it's just everybody's smiling and hand out cotton candy. And it's like, this is going to be great. Get on, let's fly. And, and finally, at some point, he steps back and goes, do you guys know where this lands? This is no longer a good ship. You know, cotton candy in the beginning, but it crashes really bad later on. And, and he becomes aware of that. Verse 18, truly, you set them in slippery places. You, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terror. It's like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. What, what, what's happened? Let me go back to my vocabulary that we've been installing here. What's happening here? He just moved from imminence to transcendence. That's what just happened. Up until this moment, he has lifted his eyes and only imminent things made sense to him. And God was good, but now not so much. Because his imminent frame of thinking made him think the good life is over there. And what I have, uh, this, isn't, this isn't so good. But when he gets to this moment, suddenly there's an installation of transcendence. He sees where the, quote, good life turns into a really bad life. That's transcendent. Right? The person who lives this life only thinking about pleasures and rewards and what they can have in this life is in for quite a shock when they get introduced to a transcendent thing called the judgment day. When the God who orchestrated the world to create for his own purposes calls every human being to answer for those purposes. And that's not what's featured on a daily basis in an imminent world. But it is a reality. And it's an eternal reality. And the imminent one will last for a short time frame. But the transcendent reality will last forever. And that gets lost. And he had lost this. Look at verse 23. Something else returns to him. He says, nevertheless, I, I am continually with with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. Who, who am I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Do you hear a radical shift in this man's vocabulary? Just a moment ago, he's saying, you know, I got the raw end of the deal. I've kept my hands clean. I've lived a certain way. And the good life people have really had it good. And now all of a sudden he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. they don't have it so good after all. And, and what was I thinking? When I was living here, I had God. <laughs> what else is there to have? I had God every day holding my hand as I walked through life. I had God. And I had, I had overlooked that. I had forgotten God, where have we heard that before? I had become enchanted by other things and I had lost my enchantment with God and having God wasn't enough. Having God wasn't good enough. Yeah, I know I'm a Christian. Yeah, I know one day I'm going to heaven. But you know, right now, it just stinks. Right now, it just stinks. You know, it's like 
something goes off in this man's mind that makes him realize, you, you can't say that to have God. What else on earth do I desire but that? Everything else now has found its place. This is that word I used last week. Oriented. He is now reoriented. And everything else makes sense in a different way than it did just moments before. And, and, and listen now to where his address for the good life is. Verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I like other translations that said the nearness of God is my good. Right, so for a moment, there was this insanity in this man that he looked over there and he said, that's the good life. And now, clarity has come. And he looks and he says, no, I, I have God, the treasure of all treasures. And the nearness of God, that's the good life. You want to put a label on what's the good life? It is the nearness of God. It is being aware of, experiencing, drawing near to, and having an exchange between you and God in that nearness. That's the good life. That's what we're meant to be enchanted by. And once that heart shift of enchantment takes place in his heart, did you notice his life doesn't change at all? He doesn't turn around and say, you know, and I won the lottery, you know. So all my bills are paid and, and finally I get to have my dreams come true and I've always wanted to be this and look, it looks like it's going to work out. Oh, oh, and God, yeah, that too. His life is exactly the same. He's still stricken every morning. He still doesn't have what they have. He doesn't have the latest from the fat and sleek collection going on. That's what he said earlier, right? He doesn't go up and open up his wardrobe and think, wow, got all the latest stuff. He still has the same life he had before, but now he is delighted by the life that he has. Do you see a radical shift here? Now, I want us to be aware of two things. I want us to be aware that such a radical shift exists. That such a radical shift can occur. That you could be sitting here today in the land of malaise where... You're just enamored by the stuff of the good life over there. And, and everything that he was before, you're experiencing that now. But there can be this shift. There can be this encounter, this revelation with God that can change all that in your life. So please, do you see that in this story? And, and it's pretty miraculous. It happens drastically. It doesn't have to happen drastically, but it does in this story happen drastically. But I don't want you to overlook something. And I want us to spend some time here because if all I can tell you is there's this mysterious shift. Well, that's good to know. Um, I'd like for that to happen in my life. Is there any how-to in this? Yes, there is. In verse 17, we have this picture in verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, this confusion in my life, this disoriented feeling, the way life feels, and where is God in all this, and how is this good, it seemed to me a wearisome task, listen, until I went into the sanctuary of God. What is is that? What just happened? 
with this man? What, what is this sanctuary of God thing? Right, well, there are some things that God installs in our lives that have this kind of power to do this kind of thing to us. To take our soul that is upside down and frayed and freaked out and to restore it. Right? And you guys were at the men's retreat. You remember we talked about ancient paths and Jeremiah's presentation of ancient paths. Let me just pick that passage up and, and talk about it for a second today. Jeremiah 6 verse 16 says this. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, right? So there's some doing involved in this. And find rest for your souls, right? There is, there is an ancient path that this man walks on that has this impact on him. That's what he did. Right? This invitation from Jeremiah is, hey, hey, everybody, come here. Let's, let's walk out into the world for a moment and let's stand by the highways of life where all the traffic is, where everybody else is doing the same stuff every day over and over, occupying their time, their energy, their affections, doing this. Let's stand right here for a second and watch that. How's that going? How's that feeling? All right, now, now look for the ancient paths. The, the paths that God has said, travel on these. If you travel on these, you'll experience something. You'll experience a restoration of your soul. Right? That's what this man is experiencing. All right? when we, and you hear this, and we're going to develop some of this a little further in the weeks ahead. Right? Psalm 19, verse 7. This, this is a path. This is the word of God is a pathway that we travel on. Now listen... Please notice, you just visited the highway of life. It's very busy. There's so much stuff going on. Who's got time for ancient past? Who's got time to pick up the Bible and get around thoughts from God? I don't have time for that. I've got an agenda. I've got a schedule. I'm overbooked. There's too much going on. There's work and there's home and there's personal stuff. And I've got to go to the gym. I mean, it's just the highways of life. And the Bible said, make sure you notice everybody's traveling those ways. But there's not a lot of people on the ancient paths. And the ancient paths have got strange power in them. They do something to your soul. Psalm 19 verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. This is the Psalm 73 experience right here. He went from an embittered heart to a rejoicing heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes he began to see things that he he had stopped seeing at some point what made him see an ancient path like this ancient path of god's word the fear of the lord is clean enduring forever the rules of the lord are true and righteous altogether listen more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb what's this What's the psalmist doing right here? And he's picking up one version of enchantment and saying this version's better. Because people were enchanted by gold. People were enchanted by the drippings of the honeycomb. I mean, you do realize people discovered America looking for spices for goodness sake. Why are we willing to travel around the world for something you sprinkle in your food? Well, that's just how we are, Keith. <laughs> 
And so people were sacrificial, risked their lives to go find this new land where there's drippings of honeycomb. And the psalmist turns around and says, this is better. This outweighs that. Get on this ancient path and taste some of this, dude, and you will be enchanted by it. And the difference is it will restore your soul. So the psalmist experienced exactly what the Lord promised that he'd experience if he traveled down these ancient paths. Listen to this thought from Marvin Tate about this encounter of this man in Psalm 73. He says, the crucial point of the psalm is found in verse 17, which recounts in a very brief statement that the speaker attended, attained, sorry, a Godward orientation during a time in the sanctuary, which constituted a revelation of things seen but not seen, of things known, but not known. We're not told how the new insight happened. Perhaps the speaker was a participant in the worship at the temple in Jerusalem on one of the high days of festival time, where, like Isaiah of Jerusalem, a vision appeared to Yahweh, high and lifted up upon his great heavenly throne, while priests and people chanted, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Or perhaps on a similar occasion, the speaker heard an unnamed prophet declare, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Or did the new understanding come in a moment of meditation and quiet reflection? On the ways of God and humankind, a moment of disclosure which opens the eyes of a mind blinded by envy and the glory of the wicked. Who can say? Psalm 73 is a masterpiece of reorientation. The sanctuary experience stimulated a new awareness. The sanctuary experience stimulated a new awareness and an awareness that the guy in Psalm 73 didn't have. He had lost. It was always there to be seen, but it wasn't being seen. He had lost it until he went to the sanctuary and he encountered it again. Can I just encourage you to do this? I mean, I intentionally stick quotes in your outline. Not so that you can just read along with me, but that you have the benefit of going back to them during the week. Uh, I, have, I have probably read that quote in studying and preparing five times. And every time I read it, it does something to me. It makes me aware of the mystery of it at any moment. In, in a setting designed by God, suddenly awareness can come to me. I didn't have it just a moment ago. My mind was empty of it. Other things occupied me. Anxieties and fears and concerns and my own strategies. But somehow, this makes me aware. There's a moment where God can invade my way of thinking and, and my limitations And suddenly, a new awareness is stimulated. By what? Now, I know that's mysterious. But not all of this statement is mysterious. Some of it's very practical. This mysterious thing happens at a particular time and in a particular place. And it happens to be an ancient path that God created for people to travel on. 
it was all that stuff. Remember you guys who have lived through the Exodus uh, study. (laughs) Remember all the imagery that got installed at Mount Sinai? Remember all the the temple and the tabernacle pieces and all? What was all that stuff? It was an ancient path. It was a means of seeing something about God. And they were supposed to show up there on a regular basis. Now, I'm not sure what his story was. Maybe he had been missing church for a long time. But somehow he shows up in that space. And if you keep reading in Deuteronomy, all Deuteronomy is is a rehearsing of what they got at Mount Sinai before they go into the land. So they're about to hear, just a few chapters from now, they're about to hear about things like tithes, Sabbaths, Passover celebration, the festivals that were installed throughout the year. What are these things? They're ancient paths. They're rituals. They're they're ways of walking and doing life that, that summon us to a location that call our attention to transcendent things. And suddenly, there's an out. There's an escape from everything that's right here and right now. And God doesn't say that should happen by random accident. He says, show up here. Show up here this many times a year. Show up here on a regular basis. Show up in these places. There's a dimension to where you and I experience what was happening in Psalm 73 when we put ourselves on these ancient paths. Intentionally. This man was wearied in his mind, in his heart, in doing life. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until is a moment. There's actually a moment where he picked his butt up, got on his camel, and drove to church. (laughs) And then he entered into that setting, and God used it. And something like Marvin Tate said, an experience stimulated a new awareness. Isn't that awesome? This guy hated life and he was angry at God until, poof, a new awareness. And it's like, oh, what was I thinking? I just love, this is how God operates. And no matter how twisted or or under the weight or confused or heavy life has become, my mind is out of touch. God can step in in a moment And give me a a new awareness that I just didn't have moments ago. I I need that. My soul needs that. So, you know, listen. Do you get get why I'm saying this this, this way? Because if I were just to say, hey, there's this mysterious thing that God does. That you can be enchanted and forget God. And then suddenly you can become enchanted with God and enamored with him. If that was my message today... That might, you know, plant a little seed of the possibility that maybe that could happen for me. But God turns around and highlights it didn't happen by accident. It happened by design. When you go into the land, be careful to do these things. They will guard you from being enchanted with that and they will keep you enchanted with me, fearing me, serving me, walking in my ways and loving me with a passion like you love the stuff in your own life. So listen, you know, I don't know that we ever run out of the need to, to, to visit the reality of this, right? I, I hope you don't get worn out by going back to this spot over and over and over again. 
Because in the land that you and I live in, in the world that we live in, we're not in heaven. We're not in heaven. I know this sounds stupid to have to say, but we're not in heaven. And so, perpetual dullness is a reality for us. So I know in some ways you hear some of these sorts of messages and you think, you know, Keith, I'm... I've done that, man. I've been saved 20, 30 years. I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. Can I just break some news to you? And you're going to do it again. You're going to grow dull. You're going to need to be sharpened again and again and again. And you're going to enter the sanctuary of God and you're going to have an experience with him and you're going to travel ancient paths and those paths are going to rub on you like iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another. Fellowship is an ancient path and it sharpens you and sharpens you and sharpens you and then you're going to live for a month, a year and next thing you know, your blade can't cut squat. And you're like, good, what the heck happened here? Uh, Life in a fallen world happened here. That's what happened here. So if you're expecting, and, and I say this to preach this to my own soul because I'm a person who wants to fix something and never have to fix it again. That's a passion of mine. So anytime something pops up in my life that needs regular maintenance, I, I hate stuff that needs regular maintenance. I would like to go on to other things. I would like that to be done forever and go on to other things. Well, what I just described is heaven. <laughs> There's, there's no maintenance department in heaven. I don't know if you knew that or not. Nobody's got to fix anything that gets worn out. It's always sharp. I always see God in a more and more enamoring way. Enchantment never wanes. But in this world, not so. So if you were thinking, hey, I'm entering 2018. I'm pretty sharp, pretty sharp. Um, all right, halfway through the land, you might be pretty dull, pretty dull. I know that doesn't sound we're like, oh, that's great news. It's just realistic news. It's all over the Bible. Right? And be careful, because we're, we're sloppy New Testament theologians. That's what we are, sloppy New Testament theologians. So we don't understand the distinction between right here and right now and future eternity. And so we import too much into right now, so we think, well, wait a minute, man. Keith, we're in the New Testament. We're not those guys in Deuteronomy 6. Don't you know that? They didn't have the Holy Spirit. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't ascended to the Father. It's not finished. Come on. And you're not in heaven yet. And yes, you do possess a lot of what they did not possess. But you're not in heaven yet. And so even though you have the Holy Spirit empowering you and you have the word of God to renew our minds and affect us, we are not in heaven. And the writers of the New Testament knew that. They didn't fall for this. Who? this is a head scratcher. What's with the dullness? How did everybody get dull? We just sharpened up last week. How did this happen? They're not mystified by that. Right, when, when the angels revealed to the future churches in Revelation chapter 2, hey, you know, I'm looking at your condition, future church. Well, this is Revelation, right? So we're well past the cross, the resurrection, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And, and they turn around and they say, hey, 
Uh, you know, I, I get, you know, you got your toil is excellent. You identify evil. You stay away from it. You don't let people teach false teaching. So, you know, kind of as a church, you're doing a bunch of things pretty good. But, but I have this against you. That, that you have forgotten your first love. Really? That, wait, that can happen in the New Testament? I thought that was just those knuckleheads in the Old Testament. Apparently... That can happen in the New Testament. And you can be sitting here today without an ounce of affection for God. Going through the motions. Showing up for church. I I want you to hear God scream at you. I have this against you. That's not what I had in mind. The word that I use for love has got passion in it. It's got affection in it. It's got longings and desires. It preoccupies you. It's filled with endless curiosity. That's what I had in mind for you. And somewhere along the way, you lost that. And so so two things, maybe this morning, it's about restoring that for us. And it's also about learning to stay sharp. And in God's plan, you're not going to be sharp if you can't remember the last time you traveled an ancient path. If the ancient paths that God installed to give us encounters with him that brought new awareness to us and and transfixed us on him and pulled the enchantment away from anything and everything out there and put it in God, listen, you, you can only fight enchantment with enchantment. You understand that? If you try to fight enchantment with enchantment, it won't work. You'll just shift your idolatry to something else. How many of you guys know that you know, we're entering into the Lent season, which I want to take advantage of next week, but we're entering the Lent season, supposedly this sacrificial thing, you know, people giving up this, giving up that. I mean, you know, a lot of people are just simply going to shift what they're eating into a diet plan. It's got nothing to do with God, just trying to lose some weight. You know, you've just become enchanted by something else. Yeah, that's right. I used to think the good life was the kind of food that I ate passing across my taste buds. And whoo, that's the good life. Now I think the good life is losing about 40 pounds and feeling better about myself, having more energy throughout the day, and maybe even some people might be attracted to me a little bit more. What'd you do? You just moved the good life to a new location. So now I'm enchanted by that. Now I'm absorbed and I'm going to try and be an evangelist to get you to eat like I eat and exercise like I exercise. Criticize you and condemn you because you don't get up in the morning and go to the gym. That's my new me. right? You still haven't found God, right? The only way to fight this enchantment is with enchantment. Because I'm wired for enchantment. I'm going to be crazy about something. If it's not God, I'm going to fall prey to this over and over and over again. Psalm 73 is going to sound like my experience on the front end. But God's got more, doesn't he? Eric, you can go ahead and come back up wherever you are. I think, think for a second with me. You know, the Bible has this, this massive storyline that culminates in this moment where Jesus Christ puts on human flesh, lives a life, lays his life down, dies, ascends to the Father and sends the Holy Spirit to come and bring life, restore life back to his people. 
That's the storyline of the Bible. Whatever you got going on in your life, that's what God's after. And please don't, don't displace that while you're trying to get a degree or trying to become the first person to win a medal in the Olympics for something interesting. Whatever it is, it's good that we have interests because in the land, God says, hey, there's things to be interested in and that's not wrong. But the storyline of God is that he wants to restore you to him. And the greatest thing that ever happened in the Bible was that Jesus Christ did everything necessary for that to happen. And you and I live in light of that. So, so, you know, in your own life, your own experience, how's that working out? What did what Jesus accomplished for you, what did it do for you? Did it even matter? You just want to have a better time? That's what you want? You didn't need Jesus to come do that. You wanted more imminent things in your life? Yeah. You didn't need Jesus to come and do that. Maybe a new set of friends. Maybe a little bit more money. Maybe you could get better educated. Go back to school. Maybe you could do that. That might work for a, for a while at least, right? But that's not what the gospel was coming to do. And the gospel certainly wasn't given to us so that all of us could at some point have some kind of mental agreement with like, yeah, what's, yeah, sure, I believe that story. Like, that's, you know, like I just, you know, of all the possibilities and options out there of something to believe, yeah, yeah, I believe that one. Really, that's it? I believe that? Enamored with it? Freaked out by it? Love it? Have an affection for it? Crazy about it? Life turned upside down? Joy unspeakable? No, no, but, but I believe that. See, the land that God calls us to live in, it's got passion in it. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall be enchanted by him. He shall be your everything. You shall be willing to lose it all for the sake of having him. You shall stand in moments in great need, in poverty, in brokenness of body. You shall stand like Job who lost everything and didn't understand why. You know what heals Job? Just a revelation of who God is. That's it. He came to the same place. And he said, who have I? What do I desire on earth, God, besides you? I have you. I had all these questions before God. I retract my questions. He just, what did he do? He just got near to God and he saw God and all of a sudden his questions evaporated in his life with all of its need. It didn't swallow him up anymore. Can can you agree with me that if anybody should have been paralyzed by a life beyond explanation, it's Job. The man should have stood and said, God, there's nothing you can say to me that will fix me. I've lost everything. But he stood in the presence of God and said the exact same thing the psalmist said. I'm good. I'm good. Because the nearness of God is my good. So I I don't know what you're trying to do to fix you. What are you after? What do you want? The God who created you had one thing in mind above all other things. Not instead of all other things, above all other things. 
was that his nearness to you would be your good. You want the good life? You want to live for the good life? Then taste and see the goodness of God. Travel down ancient paths. Put yourself in the sanctuary. Stare into the rituals that God has created until you see God in them. And let it inflame and awaken your soul so that you respond to God in love. Listen, I can't stand here today and say, you're not leaving here today until you love God. You've got to encounter God, and, and then I promise you, you will love Him. You will be blown away by Him. So I, I want us all to get on some ancient paths. All I can do is tell you to get on them, and we'll tell you how to get on them coming up. But getting on them provides the opportunity to encounter him in a way that you will relocate your definition of the good life. And that's where we go next in the land of enchantment. Let's stand up together. Lord, today, hundreds of us showed up here today like the psalmist did until we entered the sanctuary of God until we stood in a God-ordained place where we could we could encounter you however that could happen Lord we came here today and Lord I trust because your Holy Spirit is at work when your word is being proclaimed Lord, I trust that fresh awareness went into the room and traveled into individual souls that you love and that you are calling them to love you. And Lord, maybe that's not the condition that some came in here with. Or maybe you are distant to them. Maybe they haven't thought of you very much lately. Maybe they can't find the ancient paths that one day they used to walk on, but they're not anywhere to be found. But Lord, this morning is a moment like the psalmist had, where fresh awareness can come into our souls. Lord, you change lives sometimes in an instant. Lord, maybe we just heard something this morning that's going to make everything about the future different. Lord, maybe we don't know where we were headed, but we know we were headed in the wrong direction. And this morning, Lord, you altered that. There's a new trajectory. Not on board with the party bus that's headed to destruction anymore. We're headed in a new direction. Just this morning, got a new ticket. Maybe there's some here this morning who are recovering from a Job-like experience of losses and struggles and head-scratching questions and pondering and not being able to provide an adequate answer as to why would this series of events have happened to me? I trust here in this sanctuary meeting fresh awareness has come and a pathway of healing and wholeness now is available 
or one like Job set out on after such horrific loss got swallowed up by the nearness of God. Lord, Lord, I, I want that. I want that for my own soul. Lord, I, I don't want to be enchanted in this land by anything but you. And I want to be able to say with the psalmist, the nearness of God is my good. I have God. What else on earth do I desire? Lord, make my heart to know that. Make my love to be absorbed in that. Enchant us, Lord, with who you are. Occupy my lowly heart Own it all and reign supreme Conquer every rebel power Let no vice or sin remain That resist your holy You have loved and purchased me, make me yours forevermore. I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within. Great God of high. 
glorify your name through oh great God oh great God of highest heaven you would fill our gaze this week, would fill our eyes, Lord, remind us that we are, we are the ones who have been given the greatest treasure, the greatest gift, Lord, you are ours, Lord, help us to make use of your access, Uh, Lord, let us go into your sanctuary this week, be with you, have our souls conformed to you, our thoughts conformed to you, Lord, have our faith stirred for you, we love you, God. Occupy our hearts this week, we pray. Amen. Amen.